All right, let's go to our Bibles. Acts chapter 8, smartphone Bible. If you're one of those old-fashioned people with the paper Bible, like me, go to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to preach the day one and done message. The title of the message, if you've got your notes out, you'll see it right there at the top. The title of the message is Everyone Matters. I want us to be the kind of church where everyone matters. Everyone matters to God, therefore everyone should matter to us because we are his children. We should care about what he cares about. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I leave the 99 to go after the one. Everyone matters. Let me tell you something. The person that you like the least matters to God. The person that you wish that you weren't related to <laughs> matters to God. The person that you work with that you wish God would just judge. <laughs> like rain down Sodom and Gomorrah fire from heaven on their house in the middle of the night. That person matters to God and you need prayer for thinking like that. Everyone matters to God. I want to show you a verse. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness. But the Lord is patient with you, patient toward you, patient toward everybody, not wishing that any, somebody say any, any, any should perish, but all, somebody say all, all, all to come to repentance. God wants everybody to know him. Some people are very resistant and it takes them years. Some people never do. I don't understand that. But that's just the reality in which we live. We need to understand the value of one. About six years ago, uh, we moved into this space. I want to tell you a little bit about the story in that move. We were at a church building about a mile and a half down the road over there. It was a nice building, but it was incredibly small. It sat maybe a hundred people comfortably. I remember we were under contract to buy that building from another church, and we had rented from them for two years. At the end of the two years, we were busting at the scenes. We had two services. They were packed. We couldn't comfortably fit anybody else. And I felt in my spirit that if we had bought that building, it would have been a long-term big mistake to think that small with God. So we started to explore the opportunity to rent this space, we, was, we were considering going from 4,000 square feet to 20,000 square feet overnight. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of increase in all the expenses. Never mind the rent, just the regular electricity, water, all that stuff. All goes up. Cleaning goes up. The requirement to run the place goes up. And we felt, and I felt especially, that we needed to take a leap of faith and get into this building so we could grow the kingdom of God. How many know that sometimes God doesn't ask you to take a step of faith? Sometimes God asks you to take a leap of faith. So we looked at this place. We all agreed this is a great opportunity. And then the rent number came at us. $10,000 a month. Yeah, that's a lot. Keep tithing. Praise God. <laughs> And, and I remember we were at a board meeting, and we have a great board. We never argue or anything like that, but one person raised a question in that particular meeting right before we signed on the dotted line. 
to rent this space for $10,000 a month. And they, and they said this, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a building that the lion's share of the space you're only going to use for about three hours a week. Until this day, even with three services on the weekend, we really only use the vast majority of the space about six to seven hours a week. They said, that's, that's, that's an awesome lot of money. And I don't know if 150 people can afford to make that move because that's just high. I'll never forget Pastor Geyser, who is the president of the board, our, our Norwood campus pastor, really the senior pastor over all the Waters Church campuses. I'll never forget the, re the response that he, he put forth to that person's uh, question. It was poignant and it was powerful, but it, it, it became for me a banner moment in my life. And he looked at that person and he said to them, then you tell me what's the value of a soul. What's the price tag of one person's soul? I'll tell you something, that shut the meeting up right there. <laughs> and we signed. Because hear me, Jesus said, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus set the price tag. The price tag is beyond words. If God did not consider his son's blood to be too expensive for a human soul, then we had better not sweat $10,000 a month. Because as I look back on the past six years in this building, three services now packed out, Lord's adding to our numbers all the time. I see the number of people who have been saved, who have come to Christ in this room. Amen. The children who have come to Christ in those rooms. Amen. The marriages healed, the people's lives resurrected from the grave spiritually and emotionally people who have given up drugs and alcohol and, and addictions and the lives that have been totally transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ I want to say it was money well spent because yeah. you can't put a price tag on a soul every one matters to God. I, I just don't see God up in heaven saying, that's a little steep. <laughs> I don't know if I've got 10,000. God's got everything we need to do what he wants us to do. And if we're going to be a great church, we're going to be a church that loves people. And if we're going to be a great church that loves people, we're going to believe that God needs to make room for the people that he wants to send. And he's got all the resources necessary to make this thing happen. And so we stepped out in faith and we did it because we want to be the kind of church that believes everyone matters to God. Everyone's worth it. I want you to do a little exercise with me. I want you to take your index finger. I want you to put it up. Everybody play along now. <laughs> Here's what I want you to see. The reason why everyone matters and everyone should matter to you concerning the kingdom of God and Jesus is because at some point in your life, you were the one who mattered to somebody else. Could I ask you to do one more thing? Could you close your eyes? Nobody looking at me, just close your eyes. Keep your finger up. I ask you to just visualize who was that person. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. 
Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was your child. Maybe it was your grandfather. I don't know who it was for you. Maybe it was somebody, praise God, it was somebody from this church who invited you. I'm trying to tell you that there was a time in your life where somebody said, you matter to God. And they opened their mouth and they invited you. They took time out of their schedule to talk to you or they volunteered for a ministry and it affected you and you are here today because at some point in your history, you were the one that mattered to somebody else. Now open your eyes. Who matters to you? Who's the one in your life? Who's the one who someday, maybe five years from now, is going to be sitting in the church service like this and when the pastor asks that same question, your face is going to come into their mind. Everyone matters to God. God wants all people to be saved. And we're going to look at a story in the book of Acts. It's a powerful story. Acts chapter 8 of a man that mattered to God. Acts chapter 8, let me give you the context. Um, the church that Jesus started is about a couple weeks old. I don't really know for sure, but I think it's about a couple weeks old. It started on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit descends. Jesus had left the disciples. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes, fills the disciples, fills the apostles. Uh, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, and he preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people are saved on the first day of the church. A couple days later, uh, Peter and John go to the temple to pray. They heal this man who's lame from birth at the gate of the temple. He goes walking, leaping, jumping into the temple. He's praising God. And Peter says, it's not me. It's the name of Jesus by which this man walks. And he preaches again. And another 2,000 people get saved. The church is blowing up in the city of Jerusalem. But there's a problem. The problem is that although it's blowing up in the city of Jerusalem, the church is staying in Jerusalem. And that's the problem because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but not just there, in Judea, the surrounding region of Jerusalem, in Samaria, the northern area where people they didn't like lived. And then he also said, And to the uttermost parts of the earth, all the way around the globe to North Attleboro, Massachusetts. <laughs> that was the mission. That was the vision that Jesus gave them, but they weren't doing it. They're all happy in their church with their programs, their cool ministries, and all that kind of stuff. And so what happens in Acts chapter 8 is that God does something unusual. He allows persecution to break out against the church in Jerusalem. And the persecution sends everybody scattering and they all go all over the world running away from persecution. But wherever they go, they start talking about Jesus. So here's the deal you need to know. Sometimes God will allow something you don't like into your life to get something out of your life that you never would have had if the bad thing had never happened in the first place. Sometimes you're going to have to experience some things that you're trying to pray away every single day of your life. And God is like, no, I'm sorry. That's my growth program for you. Like, we, we do this. God, give me patience. Do you think that God's just going to go, patient? <laughs> you don't do that. What God does is he gives you a difficult relationship. God gives you a child. <laughs> he gives you a toddler. And there is your patience right there. Maybe you should name the baby patience. I don't know. And that's how God works. He'll give you things that you don't want to produce in you things that you desperately need. 
that she never would have gotten if the bad thing, happened, ha bad thing hadn't happened in the first place. Persecution comes to the church, and the church starts doing what Jesus wants us to do, which is go everywhere and talk about Jesus. And so one of the men who goes and scatters, we're going to talk about his story here in Acts chapter 8. His name is Philip. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered, there's the word, scattered, went about preaching the word. That's what I just talked about. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed them, to them the Christ. And I love verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. That's every preacher's dream right there. Praise the Lord. Uh, but here's why. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. And here's the signs. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Wow. Demons coming out of everybody. Lame and paralyzed people walking. No wonder they were captivated by what Philip had to say. The signs, the company that Jesus had said in John chapter 14. The things that you see me do, you're going to do greater things. That's exactly what's happening here in Acts chapter 8. And so they're listening, and here's what's happening in the city of Samaria. The city where most Jews would avoid, there's a powerful revival breaking out. Let me just ask you, how many people would like to see that kind of thing happen in North Attleboro, Massachusetts? This move of God just blowing up. And there's Philip. He's a rock star. He's casting out demons, healing people. They're listening to him every Sunday. The place is packed. And, 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 and God is using this guy named Philip. Who is Philip? Let, let me tell you who it isn't. This is not the apostle Philip. Okay, a lot of people know that Jesus had an apostle, a disciple named Philip, one of the original 12. This is not him. This is Philip. He was one of the deacons from Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, there was a food distribution problem. The widows were complaining about other widows, and they weren't getting enough food. So the disciples, the apostles, the original 12 said, we can't give up witnessing about Jesus to wait on tables. Let's have you guys pick seven men full of the Spirit, full of faith, who will do this duty and will give ourselves to the Word of God in prayer. And they select seven deacons. That's the word that we uh, hear about in the church, deacon. Deacon from the Greek deaconos, which means servant. It comes from Acts chapter 6. Let me tell you what a deacon is not. A deacon is not a board member. A deacon is not somebody, not a board of trustees member who tells the church what to do. That's not biblical. A deacon is somebody who serves. I want you to hear me. The guy who God uses to blow up the city of Samaria with a mighty revival, heal people, raise the lame and the paralyzed, and cast out demons, was a guy who started his life in Christ serving tables. Waiting on tables. There's something to be said for being willing to do whatever the church asks you to do. That's who God uses, by the way. And so I got some points for you. Every point's going to build on the last point. We're going to have one final point at the end of the sermon. But here's point number one. A church where everyone matters is full of people willing to serve. 
willing to do whatever we need you to do. To pastor, I'll do it. What do you want me to do? I'm here, I'll help. Uh, you just go to Info Central and tell, I'm ready to go. Let's reach our community. Let's change our world. Because listen, the church does not revolve around your ministry. The church is about the people who are not here yet. That's what we're about. We need you to serve all hands on deck. I'll do whatever. I'll, be a, I'll, I'll mop the floor. I'll wash windows. I'll care for people. What do you want me to do? And that's a powerful place to find yourself. I find that in the scriptures, the people who are willing to do the least ended up doing the most in Jesus' name. At least in terms of status. Philip is a servant. And he gives himself to the kingdom of God to say, whatever needs to be done. Listen to me very carefully. In America, we have an idol that everybody is worshiping now. And the idol is S-E-L-F. Self. And we have this idol of self-importance. I want to be recognized. I want to be important. It's all about my worth and what people think of me. That's antithetical to the kingdom of God, friend. That's not the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. You know that Hollywood, right? Hollywood does these sickening award shows. Does, does, does anybody ever, like you or like me, does anybody get like a nauseous feeling when you see another award show for Hollywood to celebrate themselves? You just want to like vomit on your TV, but you pay too much for the TV to vomit on the TV. Do you know, I, I looked this up, do you know how many award shows Hollywood has per year? Do you know how many? 50. 50 award shows for screwing up America. <laughs> Seriously, self-importance. There's one tonight, I heard, I read online. It's called the Music Awards, some video music awards. I, I'm just amazed, I'm shocked. The person opening up the show for all those of you who need Jesus and are gonna watch it tonight, <laughs> named Lady Gaga, the song she's opening up with, I want you to hear the lyrics. Because if anything kind of encapsulates this idol of self-importance, this is it. This is the song that's gonna start the award show. It's called Applause. Here's the lyrics. I live for the applause, applause, applause. I live for the applause, applause. Real elevated lyrics. Live for the applause, applause. Live for the way you cheer and scream for me. The applause, applause, applause. <laughs> Idol of self-importance. And I have no problem with the world worshiping that. I don't have no problem with that. Here's what I got a big problem with. The church acting like the world. Amen. We're getting our cues from the world. When we're all about us, we're acting just like the world. And Jesus said, you're not supposed to be the, like the world. You're supposed to be the light of the world. What's the light? I'm willing to do anything. Matthew 23, verse 11. It's in your notes there. This is the kingdom. The greatest among you shall be your servant. The people who are going to be important in this kingdom, in this movement, are the ones who are willing to do whatever is necessary to make the kingdom move forward. Can you mop a floor? A lot of Christians are waiting for their, oh, 
moment of life. Oh, I'm waiting, Lord. I'm waiting for you to use me in a big way. I'm waiting, Lord. I'm available. Use me. <laughs> Someone comes and hands them a mop, and they're like, uh, no, not right now. I'm busy praying for God to use me. So just move <laughs> away. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Lord, that was a distraction. Don't let that get between us. Let's just move forward. Okay, use me. A lot of people want to come and give their resume. Let me say this in love. And everybody who comes here knows that whenever I say that, something bad's coming after. <laughs> I don't care what you did at your last church. But I was the women's director. And I preached and I taught and I was great. I don't care. <laughs> Somebody vomited in the cafe. Can you go clean that up? Because we got a service that's about to start. I mean, just willingness to do whatever. That, that is the heart of Jesus. Remember, friend, that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed and the night before he was going to the cross, got on his hands and knees with a bucket and a towel and washed the feet of the disciples. And then he got up and he said, I want you to do what I just did. That's the kingdom. It's not about your importance. It's not about your degree. It's not about where you come from. It's about what are you doing to serve people. If you want to be important, I got no problem with that. It's just how do you go about it? The world's way or Jesus' way? And Jesus' way is serve somebody. And I think that's why God used Philip so powerfully in Samaria. Because he waited on tables. You want your God moment? You want your great moment? Find somebody at work that needs your help and help them. In Jesus' name. Amen. And maybe you don't need to talk about Jesus. Maybe all you really need to do for them right now is just help them. And let your actions do the preaching. Serve somebody. And then there's this excuse. I'm going through some stuff, Pastor. I'm going through some stuff. Oh, my stuff. I'm going through. <laughs> so many people got so many issues. Everybody's got issues, man. I got issues. You don't ask me, ask those people who know me best. <laughs> and here's, they've done studies about this. They've done psychological, secular studies. The best way to get over your own problems is to start helping somebody else through their problems. So get over yourself. Serve and mop and clean and be whatever the church needs you to be so that God's kingdom and God's message of reconciliation through Jesus Christ can go to the uttermost parts of the world. That's how we're going to be different. That's how we're going to be the light. Now, moving on. After Philip serves tables in Acts 6, and after Philip has this massive blow-up revival in Acts 8, where he's like the rock star preacher... Here's what it says in verse 26. Way down. Skip way down now. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, God's going to speak to him. What does God say? Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Look at the little qualifier Luke gives us in this verse. This is a desert place. That's a strange request from God. He is killing it up in Samaria. And God says, I want you to leave. I want you to leave that vibrant ministry and I want you to go to the 
the road between Jerusalem and Gaza, and I want you to go to where there's nobody. This is a desert place. Now, how many of you would argue with God there? Um, God, don't you see the ministry that I've got going on over here? There's a lot of people. We've got a building program. Everything's going strong. And God's like, no, no, no. My ways are not your ways. He sends them to the desert. What happens in the desert? Verse 27. And he rose and went. I, first off, let me just say, there is something to be said for immediate obedience. Not let me pray about it. Go. Do it. See what happens. And there was an Ethiopian. Now he's in the desert. A eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So this is a trustworthy guy. This queen has entrusted this eunuch with all her money. All her money. And Luke says he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Just remember that phrase in a second. Seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Philip goes from a thriving church to an Ethiopian eunuch in the middle of the desert, from thousands to one. He looks a lot like his Lord, who leaves the 99 in search of the one. Point number two, if you're taking notes, listen to me. A church where everyone matters is filled with servants willing to adjust. Willing to adjust financially. That's where, that's where tithing and giving comes in. Can you adjust financially for the kingdom of God? Willing to adjust professionally. Willing to adjust habitually. Can you give up things that you enjoy for the purpose of the kingdom of God? Change. That's another word for adjust. Change. Oh, we hate change in the church. Oh, I hate change. Don't change the church, Pastor. Listen to me. The church has to change. Always. It can't stay the same. Life is about change, friend. And you can't stop it. And you try to hold on to things and not change. People die. People move. People come. People go. The company downsizes and upgrades. Your life has changed constantly. I, I don't get it why we want to put on the church a standard that we don't expect from any other area of our life. The church has to change to reach people for Jesus Christ. The style, the music, the, the leadership, whatever, whatever, it needs to change. And then personally, you need to change. You need to be willing to change. Can you adjust your schedule, your ride home? To talk to somebody at work for five more minutes. Can you adjust what you do in, in your house to bring peace there? Change. Adjust. And also, don't hold on to stuff. Don't hold on to, oh, this is my thing, and, and God can't have that, and I, I just need to hold on to this. We'll do that in the church, man. We'll do that. This is my ministry. Mine. Mine. <laughs> my precious. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Get over that. Let it go. God will give you something else. I've let people go in my life. I didn't want them to go. They walked out. I liked them. Every time God brought them away, he brought new ones in, and they were better than the ones that left. It's always how it works in the kingdom of God when you're trying to do what God wants you to do and trying to reach people. And he, he adjusts his entire life. He moves to the desert. 
And now look what it says about the, the eunuch, verse 27. He, I told you to remember this, he, the eunuch, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was, reject, and, and was returning. Why does that say that? Why does Luke care to tell us this? Because something happened in Jerusalem that every Jewish man would have known from the text. He was a eunuch, and he had a problem. A eunuch couldn't go into the temple to worship. So what, what is a eunuch? Let's just be, not the church answer. A eunuch is a man who's had his baby makers taken out. And he, because of that condition, could not go into the temple. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1 says, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Well, you say, well, why did God put that in the Word of God? That seems weird. And all I can say is that it's probably so that the nation of Israel would long for a better temple. Jesus. So he'd gone to Jerusalem. This man had traveled 800 miles to worship the God of Israel, got to the gates of the temple, and was rejected. He had to go back home. He was rejected in Jerusalem, and he was a eunuch. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about eunuch. Not only could they not have babies and not have a wife, they shaved them from head to toe. To wealthy people in the ancient world, eunuchs were very valuable. Jesus says something in Matthew 19. He says that some men are made eunuchs by others. Why does he say that? Because wealthy people would make men eunuchs, and they would take that eunuch, and they would put them in charge of all their possessions because the eunuch would not self-deal. In that generation, in the ancient world, everything was tied to how many sons you could have. This guy would never have sons. He lives in a nation, he lives in a culture where everything, your entire worth is based on how many kids you produce. He would never have a single kid. He'd never get married. Eunuchs in those days would take on effeminate characteristics. They were social misfits. They made fun of them. They called them a dry tree. No hope, no future, no nothing. Got a great job, but really, what's it worth when you can't have a family to care for with it? And on top of all that, he travels halfway across the world to worship the God of Israel, and he gets to the door, and they say, sorry, you're not allowed in. Rejected in Jerusalem. Philip goes up to him, says here in verse 30. So Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? By the way, that's true for everybody. He's somebody to open the scriptures and help us. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Skip down for a minute. We'll get back to the next, to those verses. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. Look what Philip does. Opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, we'll read that in a moment. He told them the good news about what? Jesus. Jesus. Listen to me very carefully. It's about Jesus. The church has to be belligerent about this. Our mission is to lead people to Jesus Christ. Now he's reading from Isaiah. Isaiah was written 800 years before Jesus. Why does it say, does he start, why does it say that he talks about this scripture and talks about Jesus? Because the whole Bible from beginning to end is about Jesus. 
He's the one that we are found to look to and find redemption and salvation in. All the prophets before him talked about his coming. Everybody after him rehearsed it, and the gospels presented it, and Paul and Peter and John interpreted so that everything from Old to New Testament points to Jesus. Never lose that, please, because we are not interested in introducing you to God alone. A lot of people, oh, God, God's up there, God's out there, I know, I believe in God, I have a relationship with God. No, 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 you don't have a relationship with God outside of His Son, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. So number three, a church where everyone matters is filled with servants willing to do anything, willing to adjust in order to lead people to Christ. That's what we're here to do. Philip opens the Bible and talks about Jesus. That's what my goal is every single Sunday, every single Saturday. Open the Bible, talk about Jesus. Open the Bible and tell you about how he's the hope, he's the truth, he's the way, he's the life, he's the bright and morning star, he's the first and the last, the alpha, the omega. All things have been made by him and through him and for him. He is the centerpiece of creation. He is God and God alone. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We, We believe in the triune God, but we, we have a relationship through Jesus, his son. And so, let's back up now and let's look at the passage that this eunuch was reading. Verse 32, and Luke says, Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What's, what's Isaiah talking about? He's talking about his death. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is a sacrifice. Verse 33. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Look at this word. Who can describe his generation? Another word for generation here is, who can describe his descendants? For his life is taken away from the earth. Philip is this eunuch who could not have any children is reading about a guy who was unable to have any children because his life was taken from the earth and he had been rejected in Jerusalem. This eunuch starts to see his story in Jesus. By the way, that's why Jesus had to suffer and die. He had to suffer and die to pay the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but he also had to suffer so that he could associate with you and me. You know why? Suffering is universal. Everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. And Jesus came to suffer with us. He came to be the person that we could look to because he knows how it feels to be rejected. He knows how it feels to be hurt. He knows how it feels to have the sin of the world placed on his shoulder. The reason why you suffer is because this world is under sin. It is corrupted. It is not how God intended it. And Jesus is the man of sorrows who comes and associates with our suffering. And because he was a man, he can feel it. And because he is God, he can fix it. I can't relate to people who have never suffered. That's why Jesus had to suffer. Look at the eunuch. He says, who is this guy talking about? I ask you. Is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And that's when Philip talks about Jesus. This eunuch sees his story in Jesus. No children rejected in Jerusalem. 
Life cut off from the earth. Same as this eunuch. Look what happens. Verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Why does he ask it like that? Because he had been prevented from the Jerusalem temple. But nothing's preventing him from being found in Christ. And he's excited. He's converted. And I love the fact that after conversion, instantly he wants to follow through with obedience. Baptism. Why do some people pray about baptism? What are you talking about? You want to get baptized? I'll pray about it. What? <laughs> Repent to be baptized. Let's do it. I mean, really. No, baptism doesn't save you, but if you're saved, why wouldn't you want to be baptized in obedience to what God has done in you? And so he gets baptized. He's excited. He's anxious. Here's water. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And there's one last verse that I want to leave you with. It's the last verse of the story. Verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. I have a question for you. How in the world do we know that this eunuch went on his way rejoicing? It was just Philip and the eunuch. Luke is not there who's writing the book of Acts. The Bible says that they come out of the water and Philip's gone. Something supernatural translated him somewhere else. What's that? How do we know he went on his way rejoicing? Who was there to see it? I'm going to tell you how we know. What was the book that he was reading in his chariot? Isaiah. Having been newly converted, I have a belief that he was hungry for the word of God like never before. And he got back into his chariot and he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he finished Isaiah 53. I think he went on and he read Isaiah 54. Isaiah 55. Here's how we know he was rejoicing as he read. He would have gotten to Isaiah 56, verse 4. And here's what it says. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. He realizes that though he can't have children physically, he can have them spiritually. Our church history goes like this. The eunuch, we don't see this in the Bible, but we hear this from church historians. He goes back to Ethiopia. He shares the gospel with the queen. The queen gets saved. Now, Ethiopia, you need to know the biblical Ethiopia is not our Ethiopia. The biblical Ethiopia is more like Sudan and the southern part of Egypt. He starts a church. He becomes a bishop in the church, an apostle to the Ethiopians. His church is still alive today. 
is called the Coptic Church. It's the most ancient Christian community in history. There are three million Coptics in Egypt alone. They call him their spiritual father. They call him the Abraham of Africa. And this is a church that has endured hostile treatment for 1400 years and they still hold on to Jesus. Persecuted right now. Anybody watching the news? You know whose church is getting beat up? You know whose kids are getting persecuted right now? His kids. He's still giving birth. Generations later, he's still giving birth. This Ethiopian eunuch has a name that's better than sons and daughters. A name that shall not be cut off. Man, the Bible's cool. Point number four, if you're taking notes, the church where everyone matters is filled with servants willing to adjust so the people encounter Christ because in Christ, anyone can change the world. And I believe that with all my heart and I hope you do too. I want you to stand with me. 